Our scripture reading today will be taken from Romans chapter 3. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. Romans chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 26 to 31 in our exposition this morning. I'm going to make some comments as we move through the reading of the scriptures this morning. Now, before we begin reading at verse 27, we want to remind you that we've come through the previous verses which have established the fact that justification by faith alone, no works at all. In fact, it has to be that way because that's the only system that God could design where he could be just and justify one who is a sinner. We know we're all sinners, so how can one get into the court of God and actually have a holy God who's righteous actually justify us when we know we are sinners? And so it's a faith system. So having said that, Paul then picks up the argument in verse 27. It's fascinating, after he's established that justification must be by faith, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, I want to point out something very clear from the text we've just read this morning. First of all, understand this. Justification does not mean you're made righteous or that you are righteous. Justification means you've been declared righteous. In a court of God, he's made a judicial declaration that you are righteous. And he brings this boasting matter up again because obviously that's a critical theme. He's already brought that up in chapter 2, verse 17 where people were boasting in their pedigree, and he brought it up in chapter 2, verse 23, where people were boasting in the law, and now he brings up the subject of bragging or boasting again, and he doubles down on the fact this is a faith system. No works, no law, no pedigree. It's a faith system. And it's by means of faith. In verse 28, when he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. By means of faith. It's a dative case noun. When you get to verse 30... Since, indeed, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, he changes prepositions. The first preposition, he will justify the circumcised by faith, is ek. Out of a system of faith, he justifies. The second preposition that he uses through faith is dia, and and that is through a system of faith. That's how justification occurs. Now, here's the point of these prepositions that I've just pointed out to you. There is absolutely no place in the Word of God where there is a preposition that says we're justified on account of our faith. This is extremely important doctrine. Because if he said we were justified on account of our faith, then there's something we could boast about. But he doesn't use that preposition. Intentionally, he does not use that preposition. Faith is the means by which God justifies. It's not the cause. It's not our faith that saves us. It's Jesus Christ who saves us. He is our Savior, and it's through faith in him that we're saved. And the reason why this is so important 
is because if people could say, well, I'm justified because I have faith, then we could boast about the fact that we're justified, but that's not written. Justification is a divine faith system devised by God. We get the whole package in believing on Jesus Christ, and when a sinner believes on the Lord, they are justified, and that's what Paul is stressing in this text. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this passage of Scripture and the exposition of it that will occur in a little while. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today with, quite honestly, humble hearts, worshipful hearts, and certainly, looking at a passage like this, we bow before thee with thankful hearts. This doctrine of justification is clearly a package that is completely due to your grace and mercy. The fact that you would allow your son to take our sin and to take your wrath is beyond our comprehension. He's worthy, we're not. He's pure, we're not. He's the one who's sinless, we're not. He never failed you, we have. He never disobeyed you, we certainly have. He never was a disgrace to you, we've been that. He's never shamed you, we've done that. He did not deserve to die. We did. Yet, it's an amazing thing we see here. You devised this judicial system that would give us your righteousness. It would give us your righteousness and your forgiveness and your cleansing to any who believe in your Son. What a glorious, gracious God you truly are, and we say thank you. Lord, you're a great God. You're a sovereign God. We see that on display in the beauty of creation. We see that on display in the beauty of the color of the trees. What a powerful God you are. We especially on this weekend want to pray for our nation and pray for the upcoming election. Lord, we would ask that you would put those in positions of power who will do things that will help your people. Put those in positions of power who will make decisions that will enable you to bless them. And we would pray that you would turn the minds of those who are in office to make decisions so that you could bless them and that they would make decisions that would be beneficial for thy people. Lord, we also pray for the needs of this church and the needs of the flock, all of them. We don't know what they are, but you do. We pray that you would please meet every need here today, and we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If the doctrine of justification is being taught properly and if it's being understood properly, it eliminates all possibilities of boasting. All possibilities of boasting. Boasting is impossible when it comes to this doctrine of justification. Justification is not something that makes righteous, and it's not something that necessarily causes us to become righteous. It's a declaration that we are righteous. That's what it is. Now, hopefully, out of that comes a sanctification that develops because one is justified. But justification is a judicial declaration. And I cannot begin to tell you how important these verses actually are. Most people don't get this. And even though most people think they know something about it, they probably don't understand it and probably don't believe it. The people who embrace lordship salvation need to grammatically and exegetically crawl through this text. They need to crawl through this passage. It shatters their theology. Now, when you travel on a jet or a plane, you present a boarding pass 
to get on that jet, you have to have a ticket, and you present the ticket to the boarding agent. That boarding agent doesn't care who you are. That boarding agent doesn't care what you believe. That boarding agent doesn't care whether you've been good or bad. The boarding agent isn't concerned with whether you're religious or non-religious. All they want to see is that ticket. That ticket that you present to them is the thing that gets you on that flight. Now, in the matter of a person going to heaven, the person must have God's ticket to get there. You don't need goodness. You don't need religion. You don't need your own morality. What you need is a righteousness of God that's given to you. That's God's ticket. You don't need church membership. You don't need water baptism. You don't need a bunch of legalistic rules. God is looking for one thing. Do you have the righteousness of my son imputed to your account? And he's looking for one thing. Do you believe completely and only and totally in my son to save your sin-cursed soul? That is your ticket to heaven. That ticket is stamped by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you only get it one way. It's by faith. Sometime back when witnessing to a person, the person said to me, you don't know what I've done. I said, no, I don't know what you've done, and I don't really care to know. But here's what I do know. I know what Jesus Christ did. And I know what Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross. Understand what is said here and believe what is said here. Being right with God is not a question of your good works. It's not a question of your bad works. Works aren't in this at all. Being right with God is not a question of your horrible sins or your not-so-bad sins. Being right with God is a matter of faith in Jesus Christ. It comes down to that for every single individual. By our works, we're all sinners. By our works, we're all guilty. By our works, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. By our works, in God's sight, we're all failures. But being right with God is not by our works. Being right with God is solely based on faith in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Paul develops here. It's important that you look at these verses we're going to go through today carefully, honestly, objectively. Because what these verses teach is any person, no matter who he or she is, no matter how religious he or she is, will be made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and not by any works. As one commentator said, righteousness that justifies is a gift received, it's not a work achieved. It's not one's religion that saves, it's not one's works that saves, it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves. And Paul wants to bring that subject up and develop it. He wants to drive that home. And there are eight important theological grace gospel themes and realities that he brings out. The first one is, in a grace gift gospel, there is no boasting. He's back to that old theme. Where then is the boasting? You know, a good question to ask is, why didn't Paul just sign off after verse 26? He's developed strong argumentation for the fact that we're all sinners and we all deserve the wrath of God. We're all under sin and none of us have measured up to the righteousness of God. That's why it only can come by faith. You have to say to yourself, why didn't he just end the verse there at verse 26? Because he really has covered the whole doctrine of justification. And the reason why he doesn't end it there is he knows how people think. He understands how religious people think. He understands when you present a pure grace message 
to that religious group or to people who are really proud of themselves and proud of their works. I mean, he realizes what people think about this. It's hard to get proud religious people to admit they cannot do anything to save themselves. It's hard. They don't even like that message. But in Christ's righteousness and in God's justification, there's no room for our boasting because we had nothing to do with it. Frankly, we're not even in the equation. Now, most people love to boast about themselves, and you want to hear boasting, get them talking about what God's done with them or in them or through them. I mean, people like to talk about, boast about their relationship with God. And that word boast is a favorite Pauline word. It's used 37 times in the New Testament. 35 of those times are from Paul. He's already used it, as I pointed out in Scripture this morning. I mean, you would think that every sinner in the world would love the fact that, you know, I can have total forgiveness without any cost to me by divine imputation. You would think that people would just love that message. Man, doesn't cost me anything. I can place my faith in Jesus Christ, and here's this court scene that takes place with me there, and God judicially declares me righteous, gives to me the righteousness of his son. You'd think everybody in the world would love that. They don't. Why? They're braggarts. They're proud. They don't like the kind of message that doesn't give them any room to boast about something. And that word boast means to glory in something. Paul had been around the world of religion. He knew what these people said. He knew how they thought. He'd traveled the world. People love to tell others how great they are, especially when it comes to their relationship with God. They love to brag about all they've seen God do when, in fact, it's a sham. I love something Dr. S. Lewis Johnson said. He said over the years of his ministry, he'd heard people admit they have problems. Said, I've heard people tell me they've got a temper problem. I've heard people tell me they've got an alcohol problem. He said, I've heard people tell me they've got a lust problem. He said, I've never heard anyone come up and say, you know, I've got a boasting problem. I've got a proud problem. Dr. Johnson said, people love to boast, boy. And he said, boasting is really self-announcing where faith is self-renouncing. Boasting is introspective, it looks inward itself. Faith is retrospective, it looks back to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But people are proud. They like to boast. And here's the real test of seeing whether you're in a right relationship with God or not, and that is how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself before almighty, holy, righteous God? How do you see yourself? Religious? Pretty good, better than most? Or do you see yourself as a dirty, filthy sinner? That's the thing that Paul laid out in the previous verses. And Paul's point here, as he continues on in this discussion, is in the true grace gospel, there's no room for boasting about anything. In fact, he says boasting is excluded, it's not part of the equation. And that word excludes means it's completely shut out. God has shut the door. He's locked the door. He will not allow boasting into the equation of grace salvation. 
He will not allow that in in any way, shape, or form. And when it comes to justification, man's big mouth cannot boast about or brag about one thing because the whole package is a grace gift found in Jesus Christ. So you can't get before God and brag about your works. You can't get before God and brag about your discipleship or your obedience because it has nothing to do with justification. You can't even boast about your own faith. Because there's no text of scripture that actually says you're justified because of your faith. You can't boast about that. The whole package is a gift. And why can't you boast? Because, you see, grace salvation is about Christ's righteousness, not ours. And grace salvation is about his righteousness imputed to us. It has nothing to do with our righteousness. He is our redemption. He is our propitiation. He is our justification. Righteousness is imputed to us. It's not infused in us. And if righteousness were based on what we did or something that we could lay claim to, I guarantee you we would. Because people like to boast. And don't kid yourself on this point. If man were given an opportunity to stand before God and boast about his own goodness and accomplishments, he'd do it. Where do you think the scales concept of judgment comes from? Doesn't come from the Bible. Where did this originate that you'll get before God and there'll be these scales? Where does that idea come from? And then you're going to put your works on one side of the scales and somehow the scales will tip in your favor and you'll be granted heaven? That did not come from the scriptures. Where did you get that? It came from the pride and the arrogance of man. Men would love to be able to stand before a holy God and talk about themselves. They would love to be able to stand before God and talk about their own goodness, but they'll not be in God's presence by their own goodness. They will be in God's presence by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that he gives to one who believes, and no sinner can boast in that. They can boast in Christ, and that's it. Which brings us to his second reality. In the grace gift gospel, there's no Old Testament law. Verse 27, by what kind of law of works No, but by the law of faith. I want to point out something about the noun law. It's anarthris, which means there's no article, the before it. So not only does this take into account the Old Testament law, which it does, but it also takes into account legalistic law works and legalistic traditions that have been invented by men. Takes all of that in there. There are many people that just don't understand this point because they truly believe that they're going to be right with God based on their feeble law-keeping attempts or based on the fact that they follow traditions and rules that have been invented by men. They really believe that. They believe that, that that's going to somehow make them right in the sight of God. Why? We know, because we've been taught this, that if we just eat pot roast on Sunday and don't go to a restaurant, we'll be okay. (laughs) If we don't let the kids have fun on Sunday, if we make them hide out and take a nap, they can't go out and ride their bikes. We can go for a ride in the car, we'll limit that, but we can't get gas. There are people that really believe this. They really believe that this is somehow meriting something with God. 
these are things invented by men. Now, the Old Testament law was the best law put into existence. It was put into existence by God. The Old Testament law gives the best possible laws that have ever been written. Those laws reveal the moral character of God. They're pure, they're righteous. Those commandments and those ordinances and those ceremonies described in the Old Testament are the highest and holiest that ever exist. And there are people today who want to boast about that. Oh, they can't keep them all, which you're guilty then. They can't keep them all, but they want to pick a few that they like, a few that they think fits them. It fits their lifestyle, and they want to lay claim to that. They want to make up their own self-righteous code of do's and don'ts, and then they pick a few things from the law and say, well, we don't do that, and we do do this. And so they like that, and they brag about the law. But here's the problem. Paul said, I need you to understand this. That law will not save you. That law will not give you justification. So when he says, what kind of law are you talking about? What kind of law do you think is going to save you? If you're thinking it's the Old Testament law, Paul says, that isn't going to work. In fact, he said earlier, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Men may say that they're right with God in the sight of other men, but they will not ever be able to say they're right with God in the sight of God. See, people who want to rely upon law stuff, Sabbath day rules, law stuff. They have a pride about them. There's a proud spirit within them that doesn't want to let go to the truth of the word of God. But if one puts himself or herself back under the Old Testament law, they're obligated to keep it all. And if one breaks just one commandment, one is guilty of breaking them all. That's what we learn from James. So what Paul says here is nobody's going to be in heaven by that. Nobody's going to be able to keep law or make up law codes that are going to work out a deal with God. The law is going to shut every mouth. Works, as one commentator said, are a dead-end street. It's not going to lead someone to salvation. No matter how many laws they try to put themselves under, the only way to salvation is a grace gift found by faith in Jesus Christ. His third reality is... This grace gift gospel, there are no works in it. Verse 27, by what kind of law of works? No, but by the law of faith. John Calvin said Paul mentions works here without any limitation or qualification, so this includes any works whatsoever that you can imagine and make up in your own mind. You can come up with your own code of works, your ethical code, your moral code. You can come up with anything you want to imagine to be right with God. It won't work. The greatest display of the pride of man is seen in the fact that man is spiritually delusional and blind to the fact that he thinks his own works are going to save him. Up against the righteousness of a holy God and he actually convinces himself because of his arrogance that his works are going to save him. No human can be justified by works. And one who actually believes his works can make him as righteous as God is believing a lie from hell. Paul has already established that. We're all fallen far short of the glory of God. We're all sinners and our best works as a sinner are as filthy rags. 
And when a man thinks that he can work his way to heaven, he doesn't realize the distance between God's righteousness and his best righteousness. To actually believe that we could satisfy the demands of a holy God and stand before a righteous holy God, and then he would look at us and say, well, come on in, live with me in my place. Live with me in heaven because your works have been so great as delusional arrogance. You know, someone just asked me this past week, would I be willing to perhaps consider taking them on an elk hunt in Wyoming? That just brought back a flood of memories in my mind about those years we spent out there in the Rocky Mountains. We've seen some tremendous places. One of the areas that two men from this church, Tim and Jim, have seen is Lookout Mountain in the Bridger Teton National Forest. You have to I mean, it's either you're going by foot or horse up to over 10,000 feet. But when you get there, when you get there, the view is just spectacular. You see the glory of God. But you know, you can climb up 10,000 feet in the Bridger Teton National Forest in Wyoming, or you can just go over to the Tetons and try to climb the Grand Teton up over 14,000 feet, and you can work, and you can sweat, and you can climb, but you can't climb out of the state of Wyoming. Because no matter how high you climb, you're still in the state of Wyoming. And that is exactly the way it works with our sin. Oh, you can work and you can sweat and you can huff and puff and you can come up with rules and codes. You can make your life and everybody else's life around you as miserable as can because you've got your codes and your legalistic system. You're not going to climb out of your sin condition. No matter how many rules or works or no matter how intense your effort, you're not going to get out of it. Because God said there's one way out. It's my son, Jesus Christ. Believe on him, for he's the only way to salvation. Which brings us to the fourth reality. In the grace gift gospel, it's only by faith. Now look carefully at what Paul says in verse 27 and 28. No, but by a law of faith, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. When Paul asked the question, by what kind of law, he's referring to what is the legal way of salvation, and that conjunction four that begins verse 28 gives us the legal way of salvation. Paul says God's legal method of salvation is a judicial system, a judicial declaration that comes solely by faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's system. You want to know what kind of law will make you right with God? What kind of legal system will make you right with God? Faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what will save you. And he stresses again in verse 28, this is apart from, that adverb apart, works and law have nothing to do with this. We're talking about a judicial declaration that comes when you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you place your faith in him, you are forever saved. So Paul is stressing, you want to know God's method of salvation, God's justification? It is faith alone. Works are out of the equation. The law is out of the equation. Only faith in Christ can save one from sin. And his fifth reality is it makes no difference because that faith message has to be presented to the Jews. Verse 29, or is he the God of Jews only? He said, that's what Jews need to hear. They need to hear this. 
The people in Israel need to hear this. You're sinners. You need a righteousness you don't have. Your pedigree isn't going to give it to you. Your attempts to keep the law won't give it to you. Your works won't give it to you. You have to be justified by faith. That's the only way you're going to get it. That's the message that needs to be presented to the Jews. The sixth reality is that's the same message that needs to be presented to the Gentiles. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, the Gentiles also. That's what they need to hear. So it makes no difference here if one is an extremely religious person or one comes from a heathen background. They all need to hear the same message. The only way that you can be made right in the sight of God is by judicial decree. And the only way you get this judicial decree is by faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through your morality, your promises. You'll try hard. You'll be better. You'll give it your best shot. It doesn't come that way. It comes through faith alone in Christ alone. That is the only thing that will save a sinner. And his seventh reality is in the grace gift gospel. It is a justification by faith message. Verse 30, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. See, being justified with God, it's not a matter of religious ritual stuff. It's not a matter of religion. It's not a matter of baptism, catechism, circumcision, uncircumcision. It's not a matter of any of that. Being right with God is a matter of faith in Jesus Christ. And you see, what grace does, biblically speaking, is it refuses to acknowledge or recognize any human merit. Boasting's excluded. In the grace system that God has designed for our salvation, it eliminates any possibility of human boasting. And then he says, the eighth reality is in the grace gift gospel, you have the purpose of the Old Testament law established. Verse 31, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, how is the law established by this judicial matter of faith that believes in Jesus Christ where we're declared righteous and given the righteousness of his son? How in the world is the law established? Well, first of all, Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly on our behalf. I mean, he kept it perfectly. The only person who's ever come onto this earth who kept the law perfectly. You know... There's a great story in the Gospel of John in chapter 8 where the Lord Jesus is going head-to-head with those Pharisees and scribes, and he looks at them, and they've got all their laws and traditions and codes, and he goes, which one of you can convict me of any sin? Man, he's the only person on this earth that could say that. If I said that, you could all raise your hand. We've got a story we can tell, but you couldn't with the Lord Jesus. Which one of you can convict me of any sin? He didn't sin. He fulfilled the law perfectly. The law was our schoolmaster in that it boxed us in. It showed us that we needed Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the law establishes the fact that we are all sinners. That's the purpose of the law. It's to show that we're all sinners. There's no law of God that sinful man has ever kept. Understand that. Understand what I just said. There's no law of God that sinful man has ever kept. When he was given just one commandment, forget all the others in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When he was just given one commandment, do not eat of the fruit of that tree. That's the only commandment that's in existence. Man didn't obey it. 
He blew it. See, that law proves that being right with God has to be a faith system. (laughs) It can't come by Old Testament law, and it cannot come by works. It has to be by faith. On Saturday, September of 2013, one of the most deadly terrorist attacks in history took place in an upscale mall in Nairobi, Kenya. Four gunmen, part of the Al-Qaeda affiliate of Shabab, took the lives of 67 people with over 200 injured. It was, by all accounts, just a horrible disaster. But one story of the shooting ended up receiving quite a bit of media attention. It was the story of a young mother whose name was Shnina Kothir Mashru. Shnina was at the mall having coffee with a friend when that gunfire opened up. So she dropped down on the floor. She heard a cell phone going off near her, but she didn't want the gunman to come any closer, so she reached under the person next to her to turn the phone off, and it was at that point that she realized that the man lying next to her was bleeding heavily. She said, when I put my hand under him, that's when I realized this guy's been shot, and he's bleeding, bleeding heavily. She said, a lot of blood. So at that point, she said, I made a very difficult decision. I decided to take that man's blood and smear it all over me. And she said, I did that hoping that when the terrorist would come by, they would assume I'm dead. They would see that blood. They would pass over me and I'd live. And she did. That, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what God's looking for. He's looking for his son's blood on your account. Now, you can't get that on your account by your works. Or by trying to keep the law or coming up with codes and rules. You can't get that that way. You get it by faith. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll save your life. He'll give you everlasting life. He'll give you a righteousness that's his that will cause God the Father to declare you his child forever. May we pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior right now in this moment, why don't you settle that? Just admit the truth. You're a sinner like all of us and you need a Savior like all of us and invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you. Father, thank you for grace. How can we, we can't even really begin to thank you for this package that you've put together where you can be just and justify people like us, but we so thank you for it today. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for the fact that he was so tenacious in the way that he would take on argumentation. He was not a simple-minded man. This man went the battle with truth. And I pray we would learn some of that. It'd rub off on us. Thank you for those who are here today. We pray that you would do your work in each person here today. In Jesus' name, amen.